Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 121 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me, who is on the mend from pneumonia, sounding so much better than last week, and he's he's even sober, got off the codeine for us. How's, how you doing, Kurt? Yeah, codeine-free call today. <laughs> I am feeling better. Not 100%, but hey, I'll take it. Feeling better, a lot healthier, and uh, ready to roll. Ready to roll. I think that subconsciously what that was is that it was a loser's limp. You knew it was the new year. You're thinking, well, <laughs> why go on a diet? Why exercise if I've got pneumonia? I think it's all in your head. Well, that's the weird thing is that usually you start January 1st, like, whew, I've got some work to do. But with this sickness, I actually started pretty close to where I needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the only good thing of the whole thing is because you don't have the appetite. And it's like, whoa, wow, I don't need to work about it too much this year. This is good. Oh, yeah, lost some poundage. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I'm down five. Well, that's the best way to I do started it. a gnarly uh, workout program and diet. I've been on it for a week. And, you know, I've, those first few kind of fly off for me. Probably by the end of this week, I'm going to have to really earn it, you know, and, and, and just really slug through this. But it is pretty amazing once you start eating right and once you start moving around a little more, you do just feel better. I mean, I want to eat every cinnamon roll in sight, but I, I do feel <laughs> better physically. That's great. That's a New Year's resolution. You're doing it. You're making it happen. Ten points. We're a week in, and there's no quitting yeah. in sight. I don't even feel it right That's now good. after a week. That's good. <laughs> Get past that first, second week, then you just stop craving all the cinnamon rolls as much anyway, yeah. and you, it's easier to eat healthy. I have noticed uh, that. Well, I, I just, as the listeners know, my wife had a baby recently, three months ago, and so I was pregnant with her, <laughs> uh, eating whatever I want. I mean, there was nothing wrong with the 11 p.m. cheeseburger, so... <laughs> that's why it's fallen off pretty easy right now. Because when you don't do those things, I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> it's what's your body going to yeah. do? Yeah, that 11 p.m. cheeseburger, that'll take its toll. So you skip that. That, that alone will uh, drop pounds. Oh, yeah, you. yeah. Maybe all this uh, green stuff I'm eating and all the exercising has nothing to do with it. It's just the absence of the yeah. 11 p.m. cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, that's it's the, it's the cheeseburger. Yeah. Nothing green. Nothing green. Oh, that is. Because there's green things on a cheeseburger, so you can't count. Oh, them. yeah, yeah, of course. But I have them hold the pickles. <laughs> I do not like pickles. Uh, I'm with you on that one. Lettuce is all right. That's little little debate, okay? And I apologize to many of our listeners. This isn't applicable to, but if you travel to the western United States, I think everywhere in the United States does have Five Guys Burger Joint, mm, but they don't have In-N-Out Burger, which is oh, California, yeah. Texas, here, Arizona, Nevada kind of a thing. What's your vote? Mm, I'm going Five Guys. Yeah, why do you go Five Guys? Fries are better. I like the fries a lot more, and it seems like there's a little more taste, I think. A little more customization, a little more taste. That's I think that's the customization, which makes the taste more customized to me, makes it better for me. Yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think Five Guys is head and shoulders better. I call these people In-N-Out Burger Zealots. If you say it's one of them, <laughs> they get angry. Kind of like the, the Star Wars people, if you don't know what Star Wars is. Right, but it's <laughs> just not funny. the same burger. In and Out's so much more custom, or I mean, Five Guys so much more custom. We're really hashing through some important stuff here, but you know, I get to here we are January twenty uh, fifth. I take a quick break from this diet for two days, and 
Oh, so you're already planning ahead of five guys in and out. Both. Hey, you've earned it. <laughs> hey, after a bad day, there's nothing better than a triple-triple at In-N-Out Burgers. So, you know, maybe they put that on yeah, the list. Yeah, that's true. They are good. I mean, we're not saying In-N-Out's not good. That's a very good burger, but five guys is, is pretty awesome. You can tell from your cravings what you're talking about. So maybe we need to work a little more on this diet and your mindset. <laughs> well, I've got some uh, broccoli and chicken do here in about an hour. It's exciting. Oh, there you go. That's that's why you're talking about the burger. All right. <laughs> I got you. I'm with you. Well, now that we, we covered that, I know the listeners were dying to know what we thought about In-N-Out versus Five Guys. Well, just offended the In-N-Out people, so we can check that off the list. We have offended somebody Yeah, today. well, and they're kind of militant about it, so. They are very we might get some hate about. mail there. Right. <laughs> Unlike our political science listeners who just happily take it, you know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get some feedback on this yeah, one. We'll yeah, it's important stuff. As we kind of slug through it here, episode 121, I want to remind you we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Our Twitter handle is at InfluenceMax. And Facebook, you can just punch in, maximize your influence into the search bar. Should prop, uh, pop right up there. You can follow us on Facebook or like us or whatever you do with all this stuff. If you have comments, questions, derogatory remarks, suggestions, uh, horoscope, whatever you want to send to us, maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com is a place to do it. And even we'll maybe feature it on the show. Sometimes we do that if it's a good question or if it's timely. So we want to hear from you and, and look forward to doing so. In the meantime, maybe you're in a new profession. Maybe you're being asked to do some new things in your old profession. We are kind of in an era where people are, are getting paid the same to do more and more as businesses consolidate and try to become more efficient. And that sometimes leads you to have to complete tasks that you don't know how to do or you're just not super confident in. So Kurt, in his first geeky article moment of the year, because I let him off the hook last week, at least with the Urkel, it has an article for us from some obscure journal, an article called Five Ways to Fake Confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is actually from yourtango.com. This is a Kelly Rudolph. She's talking about confidence, and that's huge. It's one of the five C's of trust, and you've probably heard it before, fake it till you make it. Now, first of all, it's always good to have authentic confidence, but sometimes you go into a situation or presentation or a negotiation, you're just not feeling it, and there's some things you can do to increase that confidence, to fake that confidence, and we're going to go over a few of those, and Steve, let me know what you think about a few of these. The first one is one we've talked about before is smiling, because smiling boosts your mood, change how you feel, it, it releases endorphins, it makes you happier, it makes you more confident, even if it's a fake smile. So you can go to a closet or someplace or the restroom and just smile strangely in the mirror so people can look at you weird. But anyway, that would be great. if you could put it that, just kind of go to a place, by just smile. And people might think what you're up to, but as long as those are the people that you're not trying to influence, you are doing okay. <laughs> You've got to smile. Use it. It does. It changes your mood. It changes your demeanor. There's just something about a smile. The second one is striking the right pose. Because if you're holding your head down, your shoulders are droopy, it changes how you feel. There's something about your posture. And, I mean, you don't want to look arrogant, but you want to have your shoulders back. And, if, again, if you're by yourself in the bathroom, you're probably seeing, I think we've talked about before, that YouTube video where you strike that victory pose with your hands above your head. That also releases endorphins and makes you feel more confident about your posture. So how are you walking? What are your shoulders doing? If you could just do that victory like, oh, yeah, put your hands up in the air. It might sound cheesy hokey, but... It works, and if it works for you, do it. 
Another one we mentioned earlier is act as if, you know, fake it till you make it. I'm going to add to that, visualize. If you can visualize yourself influencing, closing the sale, doing a great presentation, winning the negotiation, you start acting differently. And there's just something about that to where it just really makes a difference. And when you're able to do that, it actually grants you greater influence on those. In fact, the study shows that if you can just start to feel a little more influential by doing a few of these things to increasing your confidence, you are more influential just by thinking about it and feeling it and visualizing it and it makes a big difference. And so there's some things you can do to, to fake your confidence. Again, nothing is better than that authentic confidence, knowing that you have the tools to change their world. I've been a big believer that you have the moral and ethical obligation to influence people, and you should feel that way. Because if you don't close them in the deal, if you don't win the negotiation, if you don't change their mind, someone else is going to do it with an inferior product. Someone else is going to change their mind to something they shouldn't be doing. So if you really believe in it, that's going to change your confidence, it's going to change your demeanor. And if you do a few of these other things, it makes a big difference. Confidence, one of the five C's of trust. Yes, you can fake it. Authentic is best, but faking it is better than not having it at all makes a big difference in your success and your ability to influence. That's good stuff. You know, what's kind of helped me throughout the years, too, is I've realized that that person sitting across from me, they might not be confident either. <laughs> I, I saw a great meme on Facebook the other day that said, the older I get, the more I realize that none of us have any idea what we're doing. We're all just winging it. And, and that's true to a degree that nobody is completely in control or totally confident all the time. So that's another thing to think about. That's a great point because the person across, they might be faking it too, just like you. They have no idea what they're talking about, but they're just pretending to be more confident than you which might put you in a downward spiral. But really, if you can get in there and be confident and realize they're probably in the same situation, it make, does make a big difference. Have you noticed that the more blustery and kind of puffed up somebody is, the more they're probably compensating for a lack of confidence or a lack of something? They, that's why people tend to act that way. It's the people that are quiet and self-assured that have nothing to prove, and, and they're, therefore they're not trying. Yeah, let's offend some more people. I'm going to put lawyers in that category to Definitely. where... They fake it more than anybody. They may pretend to know, pretend to know what's going on. I mean, we've had some bad experiences with lawyers. Good experiences, too, as far as knowing their stuff. But I would put the greatest offense category for lawyers trying to fake it and being puffed up and pretending to know when they don't, and it shows in the long run. Yep, that's right. And it shows in the long run. It shows on the monthly statement with the billable hours. <laughs> that's true. They're, they're awful chatty when the meter's running, right? Yeah, a little too chatty when the meter's running. The emails are a little too long when that meter's running. That's a whole other story. So we've offended two people. What a great way to start the meeting. <laughs> you know, what? one of my business partners and I have to uh, get in an argument with a lawyer later today. It's going to be delightful. He sent oh, us a bill, good. and he did not frame our expectations properly. And he's got all this stuff on here about answered email, 30 minutes. And I'm like, what kind of emails are you answering? Who, who takes 30 Scratch minutes to write an hope. email? Yeah, scratch my nose, 10 minutes, said hello. I dreamed about you, 40 minutes, right? You're like, come on. Yeah, I mean, if I'm sitting there and I've got to send an email and it's going to take me 40 minutes to write it, there's something called a phone. <laughs> but yeah, I guess lawyers are covering their butt. They want everything to be in writing. There may be something to that. Yeah, but that's showing like incompetence. Like they're researching this email before they write it. Just write us the email. Just tell us what you're thinking. Well, I will Pretty. be saying that in a very verbally packaged <laughs> way here at 2 o'clock today. Oh, fun, fun. Well, you, no wonder you're talking about In-N-Out Burger. You need some uh, food to satisfy you before you go into yeah, this Yeah, I'm thing. sure you're on pins and needles to wonder how it turns out. I'll update you next week. <laughs> 
And I'm sure next week you'll have blunders from this to, to <laughs> delight our senses. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. So we'll keep you posted. But it's an attorney. So we've already said that they don't have the right to be offended. You know, when you're that low <laughs> with congressmen and used car salesmen, that's, you just got to have to accept it. All right. Send your hate mail. This will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the attorneys are actually good natured about it. And they're just laughing, going, yeah, yeah, we're dirtbags. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah, well, there are a lot of good ones out there, but just like in anything, there are a lot of terrible ones too. So, well, today we want to get into a little bit more detail on something that we've talked about in the past. And I've mentioned this before, Kurt, that this whole persuasion journey thing, learning how to be a better persuader, it never ends. And many times, something that you thought you were really good at, six months down the line, you're not even doing anymore. And it takes a little bit of a nudge and a little bit of a reminder for you to say, oh, hey, yeah, I've gotten kind of bad at that. I've got to start doing that again. No wonder my numbers have dropped off or, or whatever. So way back on episode 16 of Maximize Your Influence was the first time that we mentioned this. And it's featured in Kurt's book, Maximum Influence. It's called The Law of Dissonance. And it really is the crux of successful persuasion and negotiation. Many books, many persuasion authors and trainers out there, like your Brian Tracy's of the world, for example, they're going to refer to this as pain. And to a large degree, they're right. It is pain. What is your prospect's motivation? Why are they contacting you? What, what's going on here? And you really have to exploit that and get it to kind of flare up to get the emotional reaction for them to take out their wallet or for them to do something. But it's a little more complicated than that, not in a bad way. When we have that pain, mentally, as a person, you have to do something to address it. You can't just sit there and say, oh, I've got this pain, I've got this discomfort, I'm okay with it. As persuaders, we need to understand what that junction looks like. What are they going to do when they feel that? What are their choices? And can we perhaps plan ahead for some of those or be ready to meet some of those head on in order to get a more favorable outcome for ourselves? So that's what we're talking about today. We're going to do a little bit of a review on law of dissonance. And Kurt, you, as far as I know, you're the first person to really take this kind of abstract psychological concept from the 50s, I believe, at Stanford University, and directly apply it to the science of persuasion. Yeah, it was Leon Fessier came up with the theory of cognitive dissonance. Basically, well, dissonance is a very powerful law. You're going to help people persuade themselves because when you back someone to in a corner, you prove they're wrong. If someone's asked you, hey, can you help me lose weight? And you're like, sure, I'll help you. I'll support you. And you come home, and they've just polished off 12 Krispy Kreme donuts. And if you say something, you know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> you better duck because when uh, – I call it a rubber band. When you stretch that rubber band too far, when you back someone to the corner, when you prove something wrong, this rubber band stretches. People feel this tension, and they can't live with it. The human brain needs to be right. And it's fun to win the argument. It's fun to back someone to a corner. But when you do that – You'll lose the ability to influence. In fact, in seminars, many times I'll just uh, we'll start talking about distances. By the way, let's, just so you know, latest research shows that when you're making decisions at work, you're wrong 50% of the time and you're right 50% of the time. And people look at me, and I've made that up. By the way, that's not a true statistics. For and me it is. what happens is that doesn't match their view of themselves, and so they can't live with that. And when you say something that people that's against their beliefs or against their values or against their opinions or against something that they've committed to, this rubber band stretches. It's amazing. Some people say, well, no, that's not true. Kurt made it up. Well, that's true for other people, but not for me. I'm better than that. 
they come up with all these rationalizations and excuses and justifications why it doesn't apply to them. In fact, I think the best example, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this before, is I did this with my college students where I had them do a study on dissonance. And this one group decided to do it on hand washing, <laughs> of all things, because it's interesting when you look at the numbers, they found out that 97% of females and 92% of males claim to wash their hands every time they take care of business. Now, I think we all know deep down that's not true. The actual <laughs> numbers, if you want to know, uh, I don't know if you want to know, but the actual numbers, on average, it's 75% females, 58% males. So people say they believe it. They should do it, but not everyone's doing it. So these students camp out in the university library bathroom to catch people who haven't washed their hands. And so they catch people, both male and female, and they follow them out into the library, the hallway there, and say, wait, stop, you forgot to wash your hands. Now, what happens here is you have just stretched the rubber band, probably a little too far. There is a discrepancy for what they believe they should be doing what they actually did, and it's very interesting, human nature, nobody said thank you. Nobody said, oh, okay, I'll go do it. It just didn't happen. That's still human nature. You had people say, hey, pervert, call security, this person's watching me in the bathroom. That's what I would have said. I know. It has nothing to do with the situation, but we just attack the person. We see that happen quite a bit. Or you just didn't see me. Or my professor said the germs are so strong it didn't matter anymore. Well, I'm going to use hand sanitizer later. No, you just wash your hands before you eat. Right? It just doesn't happen. And so it's interesting and influence. You could stretch a rubber band a little bit, but if you stretch it too far, it will snap back at you, and they will come after you. They will attack you. They will make it your fault. And we see this all the time in relationships and an influence, but that's the core foundation, is that human brain needs to be right. And you got to be very careful as you stretch this rubber bandage, which is powerful because you're going to help them persuade themselves, but most people stretch it way too fast, way too far, and they get attacked, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, where did that come? It's because you stretched the rubber band too far. So applying it directly to, to persuasion, you've got a prospect. Let, let's say that you sell insurance. You've got a prospect sitting there going about their day, and normal psychological state is to not have dissonance, right? They've, they've gone through these processes, and they feel like, yeah, I'm good. Everything's fine with my insurance. I'm covered. If I die or if I get sick or crash my car or whatever, everything's fine. Along comes an ad, or along comes you on a cold call saying, hey, you're overpaying for that insurance. Immediately, discomfort. Nobody wants to be told that, right? And I think... Mm-hmm. What you're saying there a lot of times, the quickest way is, say, what, you're a sales guy. What do you know? You're just trying to get money from me. Other times, people may think about it more carefully, but they've got to do something about that. They can't just say, eh, whatever, right? If you create that dissonance, something has to be done. That's essentially what we've said here, correct? Exactly. Okay. They cannot live with that. The human brain, hey, we kind of find a reason why it is okay that we did that, that we're doing it, that we're not going to listen. That is standard dissonance. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, they have to do something. So how do we benefit from that? The key thing to to remember here as far as it's okay to stretch a rubber band or create a little pain if that's the type of situation that they're in is there's a couple things here. The first one is remember that great persuaders ask three times more questions than the average person. And when you ask the right questions, they're going to tell you everything you need to know to persuade them. So if you need to lead them down that road of pain and you don't want to have that knee-jerk reaction of them attacking you or rationalizing or justifying or a couple of things we can talk about what people do with dissonance is that if you can lead them down the path with questions and help them 
discover for themselves that they're in a bad way, that they need to lose weight, that they need more insurance, that they need to change providers, that if they stay on the same course, that there's devastating consequences. And that's a great thing about dissonance. What you're really doing is making the gap as big as you can, because in their mind, it's just a small little gap where they are and where they need to be. With dissonance, you're creating a bigger gap where they are versus where they need to be. And, and part of that, too, is you want to make sure that you're getting as many commitments as possible during this process. The more commitments you get, the more yeses you can get, the stronger it will stick because our mindset is that we keep commitments. If we say we're going to do something, we're going to do that. This is for most people, obviously. And that's with that famous study at uh, Jones Beach in New York City where they tested this out. So they had the crowded day. There's a boardwalk. Sun was out. And so someone was with the towel and a an electronic device, like a CD player, where they put the towel down 10 feet from somebody, they put down the CD player, and would lay there for a few minutes and get up and walk away. And then here comes a thief, a confederate, someone that was acting as a thief, part of the study, would come up and just steal this CD player while this person 10 feet away was watching. They just wanted to see, okay, what percent of the people are going to risk personal harm to stop this obvious theft? And it was 20%. wasn't very high. Now, what happens next is really interesting. They did it again. They would put down the towel, CD player, lay there for a while. They'd stand up. They'd look at the person and say, hey, go into the boardwalk. Will you watch my things? And the people would say, ultimately say yes. Now they would walk away. Now here comes the thief, and they see him stealing. Now what happens is they made a commitment. They were going to watch it. Someone's stealing it. That stretches a rubber band, and in their mind, they need to stop. And what happened, it went from 20% to 95% just by getting the yes, just by getting the commitment. So in negotiations or the sales process or whatever you're working on, getting those yeses, getting those commitments can be a very powerful thing to keep people to stick to what you're asking them to do. That's a good point. I had a call with a prospect not too long before we started this episode today, and the prospect admitted to me towards the end of the call that she's kind of evaluating me against a competitor and said, oh, I like these things about the competitor, but I just like you guys better. I just, I've got a better feeling talking to you. So oh, that's great. Well, you do what you got to do, right? That's not the time to, to push. Um, you know, they're already saying, I like you better. So let them chase you a little bit. But my, my step there was, I knew that she needed a couple of referrals for a financial planner and a lender. So I said, well, tell you what, why don't we get these referrals over to you and you have a talk with them and kind of see where things stand. And so if you think that if I give her these referrals, she contacts them and decides to do business with them. The likelihood she ends up going with my competitor on the other stuff is extremely small because she's made small commitments along the way to me. She's calling people. She's going down the road. That's just how this works. If you can give some small commitments along the way, the big one almost always comes through. And that's the key fact is that you're doing a little reciprocity there. You're helping her with her mental consistency. You're getting a few commitments along the way. You're getting to do a few things, making it easier for her to say yes. That's all part of understanding dissonance and helping people persuade themselves. Because, again, if you stretch it too far or win the argument, it's fun to win arguments sometimes. But I was a Ben Franklin said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. It's fun. You won. That's great. But you've lost the ability to influence. It slams the door shut on your ability to influence that person. Yeah. Embarrassing somebody by having better facts than them has never persuaded anybody. I don't think I've ever seen that happen. Yeah. It's fun. You've proved yourself. But again, as far as influence of people, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, if, if that really worked, we wouldn't have political parties. <laughs> or lawyers. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I Next week, Kurt, what we should do is probably get into more specifics on the different methods 
that people have available to them to to get back to mental consistency and then tie it into persuasion and how our our listeners can use that and better hedge against those things in the future. I think it's great. We can go take a deep dive here. Out of the 12 laws of persuasion of Max Influence, this is the one that takes a little more time. But once you understand, A, how to stretch the rubber band, how to get the commitments, and to notice when maybe it's stretched a little too far, what to do when they start to rationalize or to justify or some of these other things we can talk about next week, it does make a big difference to be able to see this and, and stop it before that rubber band snaps at you. It makes a big difference in keeping control of the conversation, the negotiation, and the sales process. That's right, because everything else is layered on top of this. If you don't have this foundation, you know, urgency and social validation and contrast and rapport and all those things aren't going to matter if you don't have this built. That's exactly right, and that's why this is a foundational law to really understand human nature 101, cognitive dissonance, how we act, what we do, what we do when we're backed into a corner, what we do when we're proved wrong, how can you use it in a way where you're helping them persuade themselves through a journey of questions and a few other things we'll talk about next time. It does make a big difference. You mastered this one. It makes a big difference in your ability to influence and your income. Sounds great. Sounds great. So why don't we cue up the Homer? Homer, go! Go, go, go! So we've got a blunder today. I'm going to handle it. And this has been one that uh, just because Kurt and I have to deal with them so much, they've oftentimes been the blunder. Oftentimes they've been the ninja on our show. I don't know that it's necessarily them directly, but talk about Delta Airlines and American Express today. So I I had a flight Mm -hmm. and was waiting at my gate. And this was one of those deals where they said, "Uh, folks, you know, we're having a little trouble with the widget on the left wing and we're going to see what we can do. So they kept postponing our flight indefinitely. You know, they do that. drives me nuts, but that's another thing by itself. So I'm sitting there, and I'm actually right in front of the American Express Delta Sky Miles sales guy. He's got a little kiosk on the side of the concourse, and his job, and it looks just awful, is to hustle these people walking up and down the concourse that are late for flights (laughs) and get them to fill out a credit card application, which is just kind of, I don't know, seems kind of pointless to me, but... It was really interesting to kind of get a glimpse into about 45 minutes of this guy's day and and what he deals with on objections and and what people say, because that's a pretty good sample size, given how quickly people are coming up and down the concourse. Here's the funny thing. Whether this is on American Express, uh, whether this is on him, it's probably on a little bit of both. But I noticed it's kind of like, you know, if you're fishing and the fish catch wind of the bait. And that's what these prospects did. And they all settled in on one objection that made this guy go away. So they'd be walking down the concourse. Hey, would you like an extra 10,000 Sky Miles, Delta Sky Miles, American Express? Oh, I already have it. Boom, he's gone. He was just silent, just went tail between his legs back to his kiosk. That made him go away every single time. Now. There's one of two things going wrong here. Like I said, probably a bit of both. Possibility number one, American Express is stupid for placing this guy in the middle of a bunch of people who already have the thing that he's trying to sell them. Now, the likelihood that that's the case is small, that everybody has that card, but it's certainly possible. I mean, we are a hub for Delta, so there's probably a bunch of that going on. More likely, though, is number two, He's not hedging against that objection, or he doesn't have a quick response to draw attention. And I saw 40 prospects, at least, go by and say that, where he just left them alone. So are you getting the same objection over and over again? I don't know. Are you? If so, are you talking to the right audience? 
And if you are, you've got to come up with a comeback that's going to grab their attention because it's amazing how quickly prospects adapt. It's amazing how quickly they come up with excuses and lies just to make you go away, right? They perceived him as an inconvenience. I'm late or I don't want to talk to this guy. There's something's got to be done to get past that. Otherwise, he's got a lot of long days ahead of him in that concourse hustling people for credit card applications. That's true. There's a couple of the challenges there. Obviously, the environment, when someone's rushed, it doesn't matter what you have. You could be handing out $100 bills and a lot of people wouldn't take them. You've got the challenge that when someone else has seen you handle that objection, they're going to do the same type of thing. When you surprise somebody, it's a little bit different. But when they see him getting rejected after rejection after rejection after rejection, then it's easier for people to come up that way. But yeah, if he's getting that same objection every time. He's got to, from what you're saying, he just did the same thing. He didn't adjust. He didn't adapt. He didn't try something different to where people are using this objection, whether it was true or not. And we both know it wasn't true for a lot of people. But it worked, and it got rid of him, and he didn't have a very successful day, it sounds like. No, he didn't. He didn't. And I, I took a picture of one of the interactions, actually, and I put it up on the Facebook page and the Twitter feed, and it was just so great. It would, uh, I had to be really sly about taking the picture because <laughs> this prospect had her hands on her hips, and she had this look like, I am out of here. If you don't say something interesting like right now, I am out of here. And he had this puppy dog posture of please, oh, please listen to me. I've got a really great deal. It was just your classic prospect salesperson interaction. And so, you know, what not to do? It's on the page. You guys can check it out. Yeah, that's a rough one. He's got so many things going against him. But the biggest blunder, I believe, there's the, the inability to adapt and adjust and find things that work instead of doing the same things over and over. So it might work one out of 100, but adapt here, change this, adjust this. You might get four out of 100, but it didn't sound like he was willing yeah, to Yeah, something's got to be done about that or or it's time to move on, so. Well, there you go, everybody. That's our show for today, episode 121 of Maximize Your Influence. We appreciate you listening. As always, hit us up on Twitter at InfluenceMax or follow us on Facebook, like our page, and you'll see uh, links to the articles and everything that we do there, as well as those uh, periodically interesting pictures. I posted a funny one. We, we, you know, we like witty marketing. We like funny things. And A buddy of mine posted one of a food truck in San Francisco. It was a taco food truck. And it said, each tortilla is delicately uh, hand-prepared by a, I think it's like 500-year-old Mayan virgin princess. Or Carlos, <laughs> whoever's available. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, Carlos. Carlos. I, I don't think we're getting the 500-year Mayan princess. but I thought you were going to say delicately made through yeah. a machine. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and the funny part was, or Carlos, whoever's available, was kind of scribbled on the bottom, you know, like an afterthought. So there you go. Chances are you're going to end up with Carlos. But anyway, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week on another episode. Have a great one. Take care. See you next week. 